Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 237 on Tuesday the 19th of February 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And on this week's jam-packed show, we'll be talking about how it appears you cannot receive compensation when there is nothing to compensate. We'll also be discussing the sun sadly setting on Swindon. And Alan tries to drive between some cones. Oh yeah. But first, we have quite a chunk of follow-up and i will plow straight into it which is dieselgate dun 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 and for a change good news for volkswagen i'm i'm so sorry was that our musical interlude this week that's our suspense music it was good (laughs) volkswagen have some good news one of the cases where a customer has tried to claim compensation from them in germany has been kicked out the judge at a lower court in Brunswick, which is near uh, Volkswagen's Wolfsburg headquarters, said that there's no case to be answered. There is no compensation. There's, that's it. Off. Off you go. Immediately, the plaintiff has said they're going to appeal this and take it to a federal court of justice. Now, this is important, and why this is newsworthy is this will be the first one that goes to the federal court of justice and will set precedents. So if they can get compensation by the federal court out of Volkswagen. This opens the floodgate for the thousands of filed lawsuits against them, Volkswagen that are in Germany at the minute because there, yeah. people will be able to turn and go, look, they said you could have it. Give it to me, please, now. So we'll see how that goes. But equally, if the federal court turns around and goes, no, then... Then the rest of them are baseless. Yeah. Or they're going to have to work incredibly hard to prove otherwise. I think a couple will try, yeah. but I do think that, that generally they'll be found to be relatively baseless, and I think a lot of the uh, a lot of those lesser claims will be um, will be rejected. Yeah, but in less good news of a court variety, this time for Porsche, the Stuttgart public prosecutor has initiated proceedings against Porsche, and I'm quoting uh, Greg Cable, the man on the ground for pretty much everyone <laughs> in Germany. It's just a fantastic job. As we say every time we mention him, if you do not follow him and you want to keep up to date with this sort of stuff, do follow him on Twitter, at Greg Cable. He's brilliant and uh, is very helpful if you ask him questions. But and, That's Cable with a K, by yes, the way. Yes, sorry. Uh, so now quoting here is the proceedings against Porsche over administrative Offences relating to the Dieselgate scandal. The prosecutor claims Porsche failed to take necessary measures to prevent diesel emission manipulation infringements. Uh, so they're basically saying they should have not allowed the engines. Is that? Yeah, I don't know. This is going to be a little bit tricky. The prosecutor they took the they didn't check well enough i think they didn't check what they were given well enough according to the the prosecutor yeah they still sort of like you still have a responsibility type yeah yeah you should have made sure yeah anyway that's that's the that best is, i can make of that one. it's with the dieselgate we move on now to the next bit of follow up Ah, yes. Remember the other week I talked about international driving permits and I said there were two different types of international permit. Driving permit, 1968 and 1969, is it? Well, there was a long discussion on Twitter this morning and I think it's worth using this as follow-up where Andrew Wright at The Motoring Writer. Motor Writer. The Motor Writer, thank you, was saying that he'd sorted his international driving license 
which of course, as I said before, we'll, we'll need, should there be no Brexit, uh, no Brexit deal or no deal, oh, stupid Brexit rubbish. It's going to be 550 plus the passport picture. He was showing it off and, and Drew Faulkner, friend of the show, uh, was pointing out that a handwritten piece of paper from the post office is, has about as much weight as a note from your mum. And more to the point, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Anyway, what he was pointing out was the French Ministry of the Interior says that, uh, and I'm translating here, uh, if you are a tourist in France, you can drive during the length, during the period of your stay with your driving license obtained by an examination in the UK. The international, an international, or the international driving permit isn't necessary if you are in possession of a, a traduction, uh, a, a translation of your driving license. Uh, copied and pasted directly uh, from the the French Ministry of the Interior. Link can be in the show notes, but you might want to be able to speak French before you even try that one, or read French even before you do that. So French government not expecting Brits to have driving a license. Supposedly Portugal is the same, but I don't know what the situation is in more in in other places. It's one of these cases where it seems. Speak to the other governments. They have a better idea of what they're doing. Of what they're expecting, anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, moving on. Uh, this week's information about Carlos Ghosn. The $34 million golden parachute that was due to uh, Carlos Ghosn for uh, resigning as chairman and CEO of Renault has now been withdrawn. With the backing of the French government, who, of course, are a majority shareholder in Renault. Yes. Now, this is... This has happened because, apparently, to receive this payment, his presence within Renault was required. Now, if we're all keeping up to date with the story, that's a little bit tricky at the moment. Yes, when you're incarcerated by the Japanese. Yeah, so, and we're quoting from Renault's statement here, the board unanimously notes that such condition is not met, thereby triggering the loss of Mr. Ghosn's rights. Now, I hope... For Renault's sake, if he isn't guilty, <laughs> they they must be so sure that this is fine to do, even if he isn't if he's found innocent in Japan or not. Because to to do that seems quite harsh, or is it just me? Because you could always pull that later. I... You? If he's found guilty, you could always pull that later and go. Sorry, he should have turned up here to to get the payment, but he he hasn't turned up, so we're now withdrawing it. Uh-huh. Do you not think, or do you think yes. this is one of those grand public statements to make it look like they're not... They're waving, waving a non-compete clause. Well, yeah. And they're withdrawing 25.9 million euros. Mm. That's... Uh, I'm sure they they... It may be possible to reinstate it, but in the meantime, it's a way of on paper saving Renault... 34 million euros, or 34 million dollars, 30 million euros. I don't know how real the withdrawal of that is. Yes. Let's just see. I can't imagine he's going to be overjoyed with the news. No, but on the other hand... I know he's got other things to worry about, really. I, I'm just thinking that, that uh, he won't be withdrawn. I, I just... I'm stuttering an awful lot. I'm sorry, but 
I don't know. I just don't know. The outcome is I just don't know. We definitely have to wait and see with that one. Yeah, that's. I'm not prepared to say one thing or another. No. Uh, on the other hand, though, there are changes to his defence team, aren't there? Yes, he has swapped over his defence team. He, His chief defence attorney, Motonari Otsuru, sorry about murdering the name there, has resigned uh, and he's been re- uh, has been replaced uh, replaced by a team that includes Junichiro Horinaka, I think. Who, oh, I'm glad you got this one. Not who me. will be in yeah. charge? Well, I couldn't. I couldn't read French, so I couldn't take that one. <laughs> who is in charge of that works? Who is in charge of strategy? But also, he's hired Hiroshi Kawatsu, who is uh, going to head up the new defense team. Now, the reasons for this is that this team is thought of looking at spe- the Automotive News Europe article has spoken to some local experts in their le- in legal personalities and they think that there will be a now much more aggressive defense coming out and that hasn't happened because of the way Otsuru does things it was much more uh it's not that he allowed things to happen but he wasn't public and on the front foot, he would react more than yeah. be proactive. Which may explain why we'd not really heard very much from the go inside yeah. for quite a while, if that was the case. So uh, let's see what happens. Let's see if there's more There's more news. We'll just keep tabs on this and yeah. Yeah, but, ex- but expect to see more things publicly happening in the press now about from his side. Mm. Yes, I would imagine so. Yep. Right, that takes us through the follow-up onto the new news. And, of course, this week's top news story is Honda announcing its massive global automobile restructure, parts of which are part of which is essentially closing closing the Swindon factory. Uh, it's not just that, of course. There's also the knock-on effect to all the various suppliers in the UK and the plant in Slovakia and, 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 and. Yeah, it's part of that the global restructuring. I mean, there's a number of different They're shutting the place in Turkey as well. This is this yeah. is all due to happen 2021. Yeah, so this isn't immediate. It, it is over time, uh, but this is a big deal about moving stuff back to Japan. It's also at the end of the life cycle of the current Civic as well. So it all yes. they're, they're going to continue to build the various models of the current Civic in the UK and Turkey, and when that finishes then the plants are supposed to shut, but they will still have business operations in the UK and Turkey. It's like they're keeping the head office in Bracknell, yeah. but the, the plant and directly 3,500 plus jobs will go there. We have several links in the show notes because we're not going to pour over everything that's been said. No, we're going to move on relatively quickly because there's lots of talk about yeah. this from other places who are better informed. Exactly. Uh, so we've got the official announcement from Honda that's in the show notes there is an interesting opinion from Autocar written by James Atwood uh, which gives a sort of uh, a very uh, general outline of things there's also I think an excellent opinion piece in Motoring Research from Richard Orcock which goes into more detail of why this has happened and how the statement that it's not Brexit related holds a bit of weight this is not something you and you decide overnight no uh, uh, not something you decide even in three to six months um 
This is there are so many factors involved in this. There are as as with the Nissan thing, there are many many factors. So the very black and white arguments that have happened on the social medias, as social media likes to do, are a bit nonsensey, and there is obviously much more nuance to all this. And then the final link I have is of a Twitter thread from Pernil Rudlin who is an expert in Japanese business and Japanese culture. And she goes on to explain the actual ramifications in this country of businesses associated with the Honda plant. These are some of the more Mm -hmm. major ones. So we're not talking about the people who have butty vans and things like that. We're talking about suppliers, direct suppliers to uh, Honda Swindon. I think if you aren't aware, you should read that just to get a feeling of how how far the fingers of suppliers runs from a plant in this mm-hmm. country. So you can get a uh, a feeling of the knock-on effects any of these things that would happen around the country will have any other plants. Agreed. Moving on, though, swiftly. <laughs> yes, lads. Uh, again, motoring research. I, th- I thought this was an interesting article because we're we're all... We're all aware that the road conditions in this country seem to have dipped in quality in recent years, I think. is a They have. I think that's a very fair statement. Very neutral way to put that. <laughs> but there's research being carried out by Reflow, which I presume is either a website or something to do with the highways industry uh, i wasn't able to find out what they are to, what, how they are connected to this but they did some research into the highway sector and they asked people what's the pro- what are what is preventing them from doing good jobs and they came out with a few things that really came to the top of the list and one of those was that there's a lack there's a lack of effective scheduling and monitoring i think we all believe that to be the case anyway because we all sit there mm-hmm. and go how is this road like this? Why are you digging that road up again? This pothole's been here for nine months now with a circle around it, all that sort of stuff. We've all seen it. We all feel yeah. it. But this seems to back up our our feelings with a bit more bit more quantitative evidence as, as yes. opposed to emotion. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Especially if we've just dented an alloy. Uh, also added to that is that there is too much bureaucracy, apparently, to do with highways maintenance. Really? I know... Not so long ago, they did bring in, because I think we mentioned it on the show, they brought in that they were going to charge people if they're going to dig up the road so that they, to try and encourage more companies to speak together to each other and just do like the one digging. Do you mean like they mandate in France? If you say so. I think that's when we talked about it, because I think I went on about how in France, there is only one company that is allowed to authorize the digging up of a road. And so your various utilities companies have to go to that one company and they say, okay, you will all turn up here on this date. That's the day that we will close the road and you can do the digging up uh, and that you can put in the water, the electricity and the telephone into this house. Uh, and then you shall stop and we shall, and then that's it. So it's one trench and all these utilities are going to go in that one trench, guys. That sounds incredibly sensible. Well, I th- it I- is. It's, it's a, and it works very well indeed, by the way. Yeah, I, well, yeah. Okay, well, it's run by local councils here, isn't it? So, And also, talking of which, poor communication <laughs> between the delivery yes. teams, apparently. It's, 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 yes, in local government, crazy. Cool. So there's talk about using 
digital technologies to help this or technology will fix everything. (laughs) Yes. Uh. (laughs) Or maybe you could just speak to each other. Mm, You know, like it's been done for thousands of years, you fools. Yes, quite. But it's interesting to see that what we feel as the public, because sometimes, you know, you can, one can fixate on a thing allegedly yeah. and therefore it becomes a bigger thing in one's mind than it possibly is but it's good to see that the other side of this this problem is actually feeling the effects themselves as well and and are frustrated that they're not able to do a better job so that's that's interesting to see that said i was on my way up the m1 the other night battling with the crazies and the trucks in lane three and uh there was a, a people carrier i think it was a galaxy or something going the other way uh, which had a very bright light underneath it and i think it was actually driving down the motorway and it was scanning the road surface for the quality of of the road surface in lane one on the other side of the road Hmm. which is quite interesting i thought well we haven't left the road though alan no we haven't Uh, we're saying that another article from motoring research is saying that highways england does listen when we moan about roadworks yep Uh, unless they've got a microphone in my car that is a little bit worrying (laughs) Well, this this article is specifically about the Northwest, and we have been rather blessed with some fantastic roadworks on the major roads, routes in, around, and out of the Northwest recently. And this is set to continue. There was the smart motorway work moving up the M6 towards the M62. The M62 is being upgraded to a smart motorway. <sighs> Um, <laughs> that's almost that's ironic, isn't it? Given the M sixty two. Yes. Now, can we do the people who are on it? Anyway, the but also there is going to be upgrades to the M six beyond the M sixty two up towards Wigan. They're going to make it wider, and it says better technology. So that means smart motorway. The M fifty six near Manchester Airport is being upgraded now and there will be more works on that. We should have warned the London-based people to just stop listening about three minutes ago, shouldn't we? Well, no, it's just to show the London-based people there is other parts of the country that ha- that do things, you know. It's not all London, you know. Well, uh, hey, I want to have a good old whinge about the M1 if you want <laughs> and the sort of 24 miles of 50 mile an hour zone and if i use the a1 there's a load of them yeah that is part of the what why it's how it's changed as well is because of uh, mps debating it but also the public opinion because <laughs> as it says in the, by ethan jupp in this uh, motor research article the northwest of england that's all but unified against the plight of roadworks and poor highway management and maintenance <laughs> finally found something for us to agree on <laughs> But what they're going to do now is they are going to stagger the work. So it looks like... So it's going to take longer, yeah? Yes, but it's not all going to be... The problem is with the roads that they were doing there, on a particular commute, you could be doing nothing but uh, roadworks for a very long portion of your journey. I mean, 40 miles, uh, Uh which it's already a pig in... The in the early mornings and afternoons as it is, so this way, so they're going to stagger it, so they're not all happening at once. They will also be, they will be increasing the speed, temporary speed limits in these zones, and they will be using contraflows better to make sure that there is always three lanes w- at all times. Mm-hmm. So, fingers crossed. But it's 
I think we have to applaud the fact that they've heard complaints and are trying to do something. They're at least acknowledging that complaints have been made. So I think that's good, yes. I think, as you say, we should applaud the fact that they are listening. <laughs> mm-hmm. Agreed. At least say they're listening. Yep. Which is brilliant. Anyway, are you going to tell us about technology and automotive Twitter? Yes. Oh, this is I love this. No, I don't. Twitter has appointed a guy Shula. I don't really give a toss about it, to be honest. Well, I'm doing it because I'm just warning everyone to be braced, really. Guy Shula, who used to work at Google, is now the new industry director of automotive at Twitter. What he's going to do is help automaker, automakers with their marketing campaigns. Wizzo. Is he going to force my on us? Yes. Just look forward awesome. to all the ads. To be fair, because I don't allow Twitter to follow, to personalize my experience. You get all sorts of rubbish, don't you? And I block every ad I see except from the manufacturers because then I'd be blocking the manufacturers. You don't half get to see some really weird adverts out there. But I, you see, I, I, am, I, prim- I, I am primarily a car-based ad platform. <laughs> so just just quickly then, before we laugh, let me open up Twitter here. What have I got? Volkswagen again. It's always Volkswagen on the Motoring Podcast account. Guys, it's it's lovely, but... Oh, Skybet. I'll be blocking that one in a minute. Uh, what else have I got? Yeah, it's, it's mostly Volkswagen, actually. Uh, I get a lot of Volvo. And Jaguar. Do you, I a lot of Volvo, and I'm I'm really I'm really bored of the keyless advert with the chap patting himself down, so he can use his fancy watch to open his car. I've not seen that one. You see, I'm not lifestyle enough to receive those. Yes, I. Oh, there's a Toyota one that was promoted. Who knew I was? <laughs> not yes, me, quite. that's for sure. <laughs> Sky Vegas, yeah, it's all the usual betting rubbish uh, and cars. So basically. Get ready, prepare yourself for new and different adverts, I would suggest, because they'll be... Because it's a great time to be an auto marketer, because the industry's in a transformation and all starts with genuine connections to consumers, Yes, said Schuller in a statement, but probably not in that kind of awful attempt at an American accent. Yes, yes, that's, it's all about the conversation. We can converse on to Guilt Minute. Point in the show where we remind you to think about and consider what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel it's worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash every month, then please do head to motoringpodcast.com and click on the orange Become a Patron button right there on the front page. Uh, If you're already a patron, then thank you hugely. And we notice that some of you, well, I notice that some of you have have been tweaking your pledges and, and in an upward direction, which is Greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. That makes an awful lot of difference to us. It really does. Yeah. We understand not everyone can do that. Uh, so please don't forget to like, rate, leave feedback, podcast, playing platform of your choice. Uh, there's also been a couple of you who've sent us some emails recently via the contact page to just say that you enjoy the show. Uh, and that's hugely appreciated too. Uh, and people who have mentioned us in other articles on other blogs and other websites, uh, you know who you are. Thank you so much. Uh, it really is appreciated. I've already said thanks uh, in person whilst making fun of you. Because <laughs> we give the full service. <laughs> oh, we do. We do. It's all right. It's worth his while. 
If, of course, if for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how's about doing that using a podcast player? If you do need help with podcast players on your uh, particular mobile device, then let us know via the Twitters, all the detail at the end. And either we or one of our wonderful followers uh, will explain to you just how to do that, how to play them in your car, play them on your phone, and download so you can play them on planes and stuff. Yep. It's really very simple, but it, it can be a little bit phone-specific, so do give us a shout about that. But, uh, but yeah, subscribing will mean we come to you automatically. Yes. Automatically, even. Yes, you don't need to worry. I missed a chance. Unless you're using iTunes, in which case it can be a bit weird. But other than that, it's great. This is a weird one, because I'm starting it, Andrew, but I'm going to have to ask you to talk about the Mexico City EPRI, the Formula E, this week, because I didn't see any of it, because I was off doing stuff. Well, I managed to see the last, uh, what was it, probably dozen laps because there was, uh, I think the technical term is chaos at one point in the middle of this race because there was a red flag. It was actually quite a serious accident. Fortunately, no one was hurt. Everyone walked away, but it could have been quite messy. Uh, Nelson Piquet and Jean-Eric Verne managed to collide but like I say, everybody walked away. It took them 25 minutes under red flag where everyone was lined up in the pit lane to clear the debris and get the cars out of the way. So this wasn't a funny accident. That is a serious accident if, if it takes 25 minutes to clear it on a racetrack. They stopped the clock on the race and once it was cleared, they started again. So there was 40 odd, 41 minutes left. There had to be all sorts of shenanigans with laptops and spreadsheets and calculators and people trying to work out how much power they had left. Alas, alas, poor, poor Nissan. <laughs> Miscalculated by one lap. <laughs> oh, no, yes. they didn't. Did they run out yes. of energy? Yes. Oh, wow. And I've not... It's a long time since that's happened in Formula E. That's way back. As far as I can remember, that's uh, that's season one since that yeah, happened. It, that, and even then, it only happened once or twice. Even, I think it was once. Yeah, it, I mean, that was just one of those unfortunate... You know, they've, they've, got, they've just got it wrong. You know, hands up. Nobody... Publicly, the everyone in the team was very much like, well, stuff happens. It's clearly a mistake. No one's... <laughs> Out the back, there was someone falling on a sword. Yeah, okay. Behind the shutters. <laughs> Somebody was crying. <laughs> but what, what it actually led to was a really exciting finish because Degrassi was all over the back of Verline. Pascal Verline, yeah. Who's a rookie this year, isn't he? Uh, I believe he is, yes. Yes, and uh, he was he was on pole, I'm sure, as well, he started from pole, and his did, his yes. power was. Everyone was seriously sort of. There was a lot of comments of, "Ooh, they're down to one percent, and there's two laps to go. This is interesting." <laughs> and things for quite a few of the drivers, quite a few of the cars. But uh, Verline was starting to coast going into corners, and Degrassi mm-hmm. was all over the back of him. Uh, they'd both used up their attack mode. I think they both used it at the same time, so that. Uh, no, wow. Verline used his just a, a lap or two after Degrassi had done his, but he couldn't pull away. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm, I don't think he had enough power, or he was no. conserving it, but he was just making sure he was staying in front. And it got to on the last lap, it got to the chicane, and 
I'm unsure about this because it Degrassi hit Verline, who then went across the chicane because there was nowhere else to go unless he just stopped mm-hmm. completely. And and it definitely was Degrassi hitting Verline. It wasn't Verline veering into his way or anything. And then Verline yeah. got penalised six seconds. Oh wow! Because he got an unfair advantage. And I thought if there'd been a wall there, he had he. Would have lost a wheel. That would she would have. Yes. Yeah, so how's that out, an so. advantage? He was he was in front till he got hit, and then going across the chicane, he remained in front. So that, but that's what the steward said. Verline doesn't seem to have made many comments about six seconds was very unfair. Although apparently there has been a few comments this week now about wasn't sure about his tactics, uh, and then it, as it comes out the last corner amazing scenes. Verline has to lift off, otherwise he's not going to make the line. Plus there would be a penalty if he didn't finish under power. We have to remember. Yeah. There's an extra penalty for that. So he lifts off, so he's got some power in the thing as he crosses. And Degrassi veers. Verline sort of drifts across as well as though sort of blocking. And then he stops doing that and um, Degrassi veers to the right, nearly hits the wall, comes out and with Yards to go, gets in front and takes the win. Wow, tight. Uh, that's the great thing about Formula E. That's what I do enjoy about it. It's just how tight it actually is. Yeah, I mean, I think the commentators on the BBC needed to go and have a lie down because it was just all sorts of things going on. It was great stuff. It was it was really excellent stuff. So there's a link in the show notes to, well, what is the Motoring Podcast's new favourite Formula E reporting site, which is eRacing365. They also have really like it. They also have a um, sports car sister site, which is very good as well. I've had a few look at a few articles on there. Not that we cover that stuff, but and there's some there's some good stuff on there. So there's going to be the actual commentary or discussion about the win, but they've also got something that they have the Mexico City post race notebook, which is written by Sam Smith, and this is brilliant. I mean, this tells you all sorts of extra stuff in here that we wouldn't have known just in a quick snappy way. So if you're interested in Formula E and you want a bit more information around and maybe some of the people who are further down the down the finishing order that don't get talked about because they don't get TV appearance and stuff like that or they're not interviewed on TV, then uh, ha- check that out because it's really very interesting stuff in there. Yep, it's excellent stuff. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so... Next up was Rally Sweden. And sadly, I wasn't there this year. Oh, poor Alan. Which is a shame, because it seems the best team won. Yes. The most consistent, anyway. So the most consistent, yeah. Yep. Ott Tannock won the uh, Rally Sweden for Toyota GRMN, in the in the Yaris GRMN. And, well, to be honest, it was quite an easy win for him in the end. Yeah, relatively. It seems the conditions were really pretty good. I, I think they were a bit... Well, they caught... They caught people by surprise because the temperatures were warmer, so it was a lot slushier than people were expecting. It doesn't. So, I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking here on the Autosport website, and I'm seeing the picture of of Collins Crest, and you can see black. And last year you couldn't. Yeah. Last year, where those guys are standing, it was well up into your calves, if not up to knee, knee deep. Yeah. There was a lot more snow last yeah, year, so people were struggling with that. Uh, Ogier uh, crashed on the Friday, so he was out completely out so he had to go into rally two for saturday and then just uh stayed in it long enough to be able to do the power stage to see if he could recoup any points but he only managed fourth fastest in that so he 
there was a little bit of damage limitation, but not as much as he would probably hope. Then on Friday, but in the evening, Latvala got stuck in a snowbank. And mm-hmm. then on the Saturday morning, Suninen, who was who was racing for Ford, oh, sorry, for the M Sport, he was told to go flat out by the M Sport team. They yeah. said, no, we're not here for a cutesy second or a cutesy third. Go for the win. So he did. Unfortunately, it just didn't pay off for them. But I, I I can sort of understand that with M Sport because they have to go thingy or bust for these races. Yeah. It's just... Did you see the M Sport, though, that crashed? Mm. Did you see it? Now, I can't remember whose it was, uh, but then there's a really good video, and I think I shared it on the, the, the podcast Twitter, um, of them basically rebuilding the roll cage, cutting out the bend bits, re-welding the roll cage, uh, and in places just attacking the bodywork of the car with a hammer yeah. and then taping in acrylic windows. Amazing. Something you would not have thought you would drive. No, no. It... But with uh, a few hydraulic presses and stuff, they squeezed everything back out so they could fix so the roll cage remained intact uh, and uh, and were back out back out a bit later on. It is, it is amazing what race engineers and mechanics can do, isn't it? I mean, it's just yeah. it is jaw-droppingly fantastic. So that all meant that uh, Tanek was half a minute of everybody else, and then he doubled that, and then decided to ease off a bit so that he could, you know, so he he, he wouldn't have a silly mistake. Uh, then he put his foot back down again to more normal Tanek pace, so that he could uh, win the power stage. Uh, Nouveau was uh, second fastest, so it meant that Tanek ends up with thirty points, which is well. which has put him in the overall lead. Of the championship, but Nouveau Thanks. was second. Uh, sorry, he was second in the power stage, but he was third overall. With I'm just trying to work out who was. Yeah, it was Lappy. Sorry, it was Lappy. Lappy and uh, Citroen was second. He fought off Nouveau, who who got to within point four of a second at one point, but then Lappy really took took Nouveau's time apart in the final stage of the final final stage. If I could speak properly. <laughs> <laughs> so but if but if you look at the time so second was 53 nearly 54 seconds behind third was 50 nearly 57 seconds behind then we're over a minute and then sixth chris meek who struggled with with the conditions particularly on the friday with the slushiness he was one minute 30 at uh, 39 seconds behind in sixth although he did win the collins crest thing however if you do look at his, there will be a link in the show notes to his tweet. I'm quite impressed with this because he's, and I'm going to quote here from it. He said, honoured to get the Colin Crest Award for jumping 41 metres. But as, as a great Irish sports philosopher once wrote, jumps are for show, corners are for dope. So we'll be after dough in Mexico. But, but but it's such an impressive, the Collins Crest stuff. If you, it's it just the jumps, the distance. It's fantastic. It's where you watch the bottom of the body of the car separate from the from the actual body of the car, and then they meet again when they hit the ground. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's it's completely different, but it, it it's it's the commentators as well, and they come and they go and they say, "Okay, who's coming next?" And it's they count down of five, four, three, two, one in in, in Swedish, uh, and. Then they go, yay, and everyone cheers as the, as the vehicle comes over. I, last year I shared the one of, of one of the Citroens going over there time and time again. I think it might have been Chris Meek. But it's 
it's quite cool and it's in the middle of the forest and it's full of very very drunk uh, Swedes and Norwegians and they're all cooking sausages and the atmosphere is amazing and there are these cars going like bats out of heck and just jumping these ridiculous distances mm. it's 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 brilliant it's it's so it is one of the the bits of WRC over the over the calendar it's one yeah. of the places uh, so it's it sounds classic. Driver standing overall, uh, Ot Tanak is in first place with 47 points. Nouveau is second with 40. Ogier is third with 31. And Chris Meek is fourth with 21, with Lappy coming in f- being fifth at the moment on 19. Uh, one bit of sad news, though, and that is the fact that uh, Gronholm has called time on his yes. WRC career. It was a really difficult and hard WRC Sweden for him, so he's just gone enough's enough now well he said he said the car was great but he said the quality of his driving wasn't as good as it should have been uh so i tweet that so so yeah he was like right i'm i'm out of wrc this is not i'm past it yeah which is a hard decision to yeah make. no no one wants to think it's it's over but it's better making that decision than it being made for you yeah exactly but yes uh utterly thrilling again as as every time WRC is, and it's just battle of attrition, really is. And it seems to have, I don't want to muck this up, but it seems to have settled quite quite nicely on already this this year. It seems to have settled down. The Toyota Gazoo Racing Team do seem to be doing seem to have settled in quite nicely, even this early in the um, in the championship so far. Now everybody says that you can't rely on it until Mexico. So it could still all go to pot because I've just ruined it. But of course, uh, with that result, you got to see Mackinnon's reaction to the team winning. So he was (laughs) lots of jumping and hugging, jumping and hugging and fist punching into the air and all this sort of stuff. So that's fantastic to see. Of course, I met him last year, and he's not really a jumpy, huggy, fist positive person. So that's that's really not with quite you, something. That's how happy he was. <laughs> yeah, not with me. So you weren't in Sweden. So tell us what what were you doing, Alan? I was doing about the lowest form of amateur motorsport you can do, almost, uh, in that it didn't even require wearing a helmet. Uh, so I was at the I was at Silverstone. And I was at the very first running of the Toyota Parallel Pomeroy Trophy. Mm. And this wasn't something that I was invited to. This is something I signed up to, like so that I turned up like a bad penny. <laughs> sorry, I forgot to tell everyone to charge their drinks before this, this item began. Yeah, sorry, guys. So the Vintage Sports Car Club runs something called the Pomeroy Trophy, which uh, in theory was was originally to try and find the best the best all-round saloon car. Uh, and it started in 1952. There we go. That's when it began. Last year, Toyota entered because they thought it'd be fun with two Yaris GR men drink uh, and a 1960-something Corolla, uh, just to see how it goes. Now, it's worth mentioning that there is a... We haven't seen our own... I don't think. Hang on, no, uh, we haven't seen that. What the quite what the uh, the factors were because it's not just about how you do time wise and avoiding the penalties, uh, the time penalties and stuff. Uh, it's there is also a 
a moderating handicapping factor, which is based on a certain length measurement, which is almost impossible to do, your engine capacity, the number of seats, and the age of your car from 1901, how many years from 1901 or 1910 or whatever it is uh, since, since your car was built. Are you trying to say, Alan, that all these things actually worked against you? No. Well, yes, a little. And many of them did, yes. Yes, it's getting the racing driving excuses in first. Well, if it wasn't for the rules, I tell you, I'd have been right up there. I'd have, I'd have been winning that. The trouble is it didn't... It did, no, you know what? I can't even make it. I can't even make So there was all sorts of stuff involved. Uh, there was everything from a Hilux 50th anniversary, a whole load of historic uh, historic Toyota. Uh, there were a number of Yaris T-Sport, one of which was half mine, and all sorts of stuff. For, uh, there was oh the wonderful uh, Toyota Crown, Toyota Crown Estate. Yes. Oh, that is the most amazing. It's like three rows of metallic blue seats, and it was it was just so. I mean, it was as about as agile as I think I said on Twitter a whale doing ballet, uh, and about as suited to it. But it it was was wonderful. What a beautiful it car! Was, yes, I mean, it, for people who want to get a, a full view of what was there, they need. We will have linked in the show notes the uh, Ian Seabrook Hubnut video, which is excellent. It is absolutely great. He was there. He was driving a Corolla Coupe a D Reg from some nineteen eighty six eighty seven. Oh, it sounded wonderful, didn't it? And 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 he was he he was oh yeah oh, he was. He he was doing pretty well the second time round. I mean, the first time he was like, "Oh no, I got got penalties." Practically none of us scored any points on the foot. So we did. There were three tests. Uh, the first one was a slalom, which of course the German can ace. The second one was an acceleration and braking test, and the third one was about going backwards and forwards in a very confusing manner. And how did that go for you, Alan? It was very confusing, okay. Andrew. Uh, the first time round, I stalled. The second time round, the, the, just the ability of my car to find... Oh, the car. First the to car, reverse. Like it's yes. all the car. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, it's my car. See, even though this is the lowest form of motorsport, it's not the lowest form of motorsport excuses. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm an expert. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, it's absolute professionals and those... And it's just, it is, yeah, uh, it was, it was hilarious. Uh, so no, the second time I wasn't so bad. There was a thanks to, um, at Tibbs GTE, Matt, I've forgotten your surname. I'm sorry. And, and I have the list in front of me as well. So there's no reason I shouldn't be able to look at your surname. Uh, yes, uh, Matthew Tyson. Uh, then he posted a video of, of me doing the, my second time round of that third one, which was, was just not bad. It's not as good as Ian. I mean, Ian was getting – what you can't see from Ian's Ian's video is Ian was getting wheel spin in reverse. Mr. I drive cars under one litre mostly uh, was absolutely nailing his 1.6 and, and total hooliganing. That's why he drives one litre. <laughs> He's used to having to wring every possible CC out of it. So <laughs> – Everyone I talked to had a great time. Okay, it was a bit like auto test. As someone said today on Twitter, it was a bit like auto test, but without the corners. It was absolutely brilliant. It was beautifully run. Thank you to Scott and all of his team. Thank you to the other competitors. Lots of people I I, I knew and and said hi to, and lots of people I hadn't met before, whom I I, I then I then spoke to. 
and I just wanted to speak to everyone all the time, and I think I failed miserably at that. Uh, a special out to Cameron Richards. Cameron is even geeky about the Toyota Yaris GRMN than I am, which is quite something, and I gave him a run in my car because he'd never been in one. I refuse to believe that's possible. He got a he got a run a tune for running in 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 Johnny, and uh, Lorne gave him a shotty of give him a run and then a shotty of of Johnny the Yaris as well, just to show him what his how ludicrous his his T sport could actually be. Everyone was lovely. A special mention to Miles Stammers who had his Toyota Corolla T sport there, and who seriously helped out with the fact that Johnny the Yaris is. Power steering belt snapped three miles from Silverstone, which was which was hilarious. And thanks to Graham Bottomley, once uh, Miles had, off his own back, arranged for for a belt to be delivered to Silverstone within the hour uh, through his network of mates. Then thanks to Graham Bottomley, who performed blink and you'll miss it surgery using some borrowed spanners uh, parked in the car park and just just fitted the power steering belt. Uh, and that has provided a number of hints since. Mate, hey, brilliant. Thank you so, so much. Uh, thanks to Scott uh, Bradley as well for, for arranging it. Last but not least, the last, the top three in there were uh, Ben Huxtable driving a Toyota Yaris GR, man. Second was Russell Giddings driving a, a, a 1998 Toyota Celica GT4, which was lovely. And the winner driving a 2013 Toyota IQ was Richard Seymour. Which, it was fun to call Fix whenever he went up to get his prize and his award. But really, his his driving, his, his, his ability to position the car um, and to just not, simply not get penalties. Well, yes, you would hope. Really sort of kicked our, kick, really kicked our bottoms. What do you mean you would hope? Footprint. Ah, oh, but some of them, You're right. going to know exactly where everything is on your car. Yeah, to an extent. But you might sit there like a smarty pants. I do. I do. Yes, you do. Regularly. But on one of them, you have to straddle two lines. And you have to have your front wheels in front of one line and your back wheels behind the other line. Which is fine if you've got a nice long wheelbase vehicle. But when you've only got six inches either side for your wheel of wheelbase, mm-hmm. yeah, he didn't really have that much space to play with. And also, I've never seen an IQ spin its wheels forwards or in reverse. <laughs> and Richard managed both within the space of 10 seconds a number of times. So, no, it's, I've witted on lots about this. Uh, I had an absolutely brilliant time. The atmosphere was amazing. It really was. And, and that's what was so cool. It was a great day, great event. But there was just such a nice atmosphere there. And a full credit to everyone from uh, VSCC and from Toyota involved in arranging it and turning up. And just, it was really nice to just chat to folks. Thank you, everybody, for making my colleague happy. Yes. Yes, thank you. Genuinely. <laughs> uh, watch Ian's video. Very good. It's very good. And it gives a really nice idea of the kind of stuff that was there. Although I notice every time he goes near one of my cars, he turns it away. Mm-hmm. Understandable. It focuses on Ian's cars, but it is Ian's video. So Ian can do what the heck he yep. wants. Uh, but it's a really good video. I loved it. Yeah, charge your glasses, though, if you do watch it, because you will spot the Grim and you will spot Johnny. And you will spot Alan. So you will need to drink at every viewing. 
pontificating in the background whilst we're trying to fix the car. So, and at least try and diagnose. So, watch it at night, not not at work in your desk because drinking at your desk at work they frowned upon. It's also thirty three minutes long, so do watch it at home. I have witted for way longer than I than I intended there. So, lunchtime read, Andrew. Lunchtime read. It's that time of the year again, where in California. Those companies that are apparently testing autonomous vehicles put out their disengagement stats. Now, what will happen on the back of this is that we are inundated with a flood of garbage articles where people do not understand the stats, do not understand what is being reported, and do not understand the implications of it. However, fear not. We have help. Philip Pieng... Oh, I practiced this so much before. Did you? Pieknioski. And I know that's butchering, Pieknioski. but that's the yeah, closest I can't I do can any get. better than that, mate. He has a blog in his own name, because I'm not going <laughs> to... Where he talks about deep learning and AI, but also he talks a lot about... Uh, as a consequence, he talks a lot about autonomous vehicles and some of the stuff that comes from that. Now, he goes into the into the figures every year. So he's done it for 2017 and 2018. Now he's done an update for this year. And why I'm recommending that this is the lunchtime read is because he bursts through the myths and the nonsense that more mainstream articles put out there. And he explains his workings out in very simple language that we can all follow along with. And he also justifies the assumptions because because of the way the data is reported and it is self-reported and it is self-decided what disengagement information they will pass on no one does it the same as anyone else so he's had to battle through that he's had to battle through the fact there's now 48 companies reporting this year and he then quantifies it all and, and puts out information and explains what it actually means to us. So he, he filters through the nonsense so we can see some stuff. And there's and the final paragraph is particularly interesting um, for sort of related because it talks about Tesla because they have confirmed that they did no self-driving mileage at all in testing in, in testing conditions because they claim they do it in a in shadow mode while on autopilot, which is garbage. But he also links to the... Well, it is, isn't it? It's, that's a nonsense thing to say. But but that's it the is, problem yes. when it's self-regulated and self-reporting. People just abuse the system, so it shouldn't be in any shape or form. But that's, another, that's for another time. But he goes on to talk yes. about how the safety agency in the US has been found out as not able to report properly their own data. And in, because of them, Tesla were able to imply that autopilot is safer than normal when actually it's the other way around. So if you follow the data properly. Yeah. So go and have a read of that. It's it's not not a mega long read, but it's very interesting and you will get an understanding of what the real situation is with autonomous vehicles. The short answer is they ain't hitting the roads unmanned for quite some time. Agreed. Uh, can I quickly recommend as a really long read uh, the book that I just finished last night, which is called How to Be Human by 
Hannah. It's called How to Be Human. Uh, you can get it in all your favorite book selling places, uh, including the, the, the ones that sell books electronically. It's all about algorithms. It's all about what they're good at, what they're not good at, and where they've been used well and where they've been misused. It's a proper Andrew read, but it's interesting. It involves references to Justin Timberlake. It is very, very readable uh, and incredibly interesting. So do please give that a consider that on your your normal book yes, list. Yes, it's inaudible as well in the UK. Uh, it's on my list. Is it's it? on my list to get. Um, I've heard it's a cracking uh, a cracking read, really well explained. I'm just trying to it find is. the name because you talked to me about it the other day on Twitter. I know I'm trying to do it and now. This, I mean, this always makes for great audio when someone scrolls through their own Twitter feed. Never mind. You're scrolling through your own Twitter feed. I'm signing into my Kindle on, to Kindle on my phone. This is what podcasting is all about, folks. Hear the clicks. <laughs> anyway, I will put a link in the show notes to that. It's How to Be Human. It's uh, it's actually not any of that. It's called Hello World by Hannah Fry. How to Be Human in the Age of the Machine. Yep. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I'll get it right. I wasn't reading the cover. I was reading the content. It's really excellent. Have a good read. Right. List of the week this week is all about designers' hits and misses by Roland Glon. I don't really agree with it. Can can you just hang on, though? This is an autocar slideshow. Oh, uh, yeah. It seems to be working. Oh, no, it's not. No, no, top tip. Click the photo so you just have the photo in its own box with white around it. You can still have the arrows. That's true. It does seem to work, whereas it had mucked up. And if you do that and then leave your mouse over the picture, it explains what the picture is. Yeah, finally we've worked out how to make this rubbish work. Just forget the other way. So there we are. Bit of, bit of, we can start using autocar slideshows again. (laughs) They really are um, a monster. Um, There's lots of stuff, uh, greatest hits and misses of a number of, uh, many top designers, Giovanni Michelotti, J. Mays, the um, Tom Charda. Franz von Holzhausen. Yeah, but the one I really want to take uh, to take issue with here is uh, Giorgetto Giugiaro. I'm in Italy. I've been practicing <laughs> that. Um, so the hit is the 1963 Alfa Romeo Giulia Sprint GT. The miss, it says, is the 1997 Deu Leganza. So I'm going to take issue with this because he didn't actually design the Deu Leganza. He designed the Jaguar Kensington. So if you look at the Jaguar Kensington concept car, which was supposed to be a modern Jaguar, which Jaguar then rejected, he sold that twice. He sold it once to Lexus for the original GS300. No. Is that good? good. Uh Oh, I I like it. Anyway, uh, he sold it again. I would. It's just, it's big, it's cheap, it's it's a comfortable car, it will never break. The other time he sold it was to Deu for the Deu Leganza, which was basically the Jaguar Kensington, but stretched and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed until it fit fitted onto a a basically uh, an out of date Vauxhall Opal platform. It's Cavalier, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah, I, I just wasn't quite committing myself to that. So the Leganza is just a squished version of Kensington. So he didn't really design that. He just designed what it was based on. Uh, the rest of the list is pretty decent. Do go have a... I quite like that Mazda concept, though. 
I thought that was funky. And the Jeep one, the Jeep concept, I thought that's pretty cool. I don't I don't see how that's a, a you know a fail. And the Audi, yeah, Jay Mays, you know, a, no. yeah, yeah. But but you know, I, we, I mean, we, I, I, we seem to be carrying on a list of the week, which is as contentious as possible. But that's design, I suppose, because it's all in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? A certain amount, yes. Of course, they could also just be wrong. Right, we're going to go on to the and finally, and it's been it's been a grim week for news. It's been a grim few weeks for news. The internet's horrible at the minute. Twitter's horrible. Social media's dreadful. Everything's dreadful. But I thought we should... He's like this the rest of the time, even when we're not recording at the minute, by the way. We we should, we should to, in a vain effort to put a smile on people's face, how about an 800 brake horsepower 2002 Saab 93 attacking Pike's Peak with as many wings as you could possibly want on it? Mm-hmm. Well, almost. It's still not got as many as a Yaris... WRC car. Well, no, we've moved on in technology. It's not got anything compared to a Formula One front wing, having seen some dreadful pictures. That's true. But still, it is still a Saab with all the wings and all the splitters and all the scoops and all the knacker darts, and it looks fantastic. It makes such a great noise as well. The the picture quality isn't the greatest because it's from 2002, but just, I mean, we're not talking Peugeot breaking records Esque, it's just a wonderfully ridiculous thing. So let's go and watch that and smile because it's completely the wrong car to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just brilliant. So let's go and have that a bit of bit of smile at silliness and hopefully put a warmth in our hearts again for a brief moment or two. Ah, well, I hope that's true. No, it, it's it's fantastic. So do please go and go and have a watch of that. It's uh, thanks to Goodwood uh, Road Racing for bringing that one up. Yep, it's not a new video. So no, no, it's an oldie. Parish notes, sir. There was a special edition out. A special special edition. It was because uh, you were uh, driving Aston Martin. I was uh, DB11 and the Vantage. No matter what I've captioned the Instagram as, there's also a new rear view coming out this week. There is. Which is finally the rear view, which has taken the most work of any rear view ever, including just re-recording the whole darn thing. Yes. Which is, is good. We're nearly, finally. we're nearly, or we will probably be close to triple figures of hours. Oh, it, 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 I swear, this week's one had hundreds of hours of, of editing before just throwing it all away and, and thankfully being able to re-record it. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Well done, mate. Honestly, well done. And I've got some. I've got some exciting people who have agreed to be on. We're just trying to finalise the exact whens. I've got more people to tell you about once we've finished because I really think there's some folk you should speak to more. Cool, 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 cool. However, everyone else, don't forget between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your shorts with. <laughs> I hope they don't share their shorts. <laughs> that is not a hashtag uh, I want to see. Thank you very much, Alan. You can send those directly to the Motoring Podcast Twitter handle at Motoring Podcast. <laughs> However, the rest of you don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget our Patreon offer. 
Uh, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, what is the best way to get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you will find me there. And Alan, if people want to send their shorts, what's the best way for them to do that personally? <laughs> I don't even want pictures of your ruddy shorts. But if you have to <laughs> get in touch with me, then please do it on Twitter, where it's at A-J-P Bradley. I have been speaking for eight or nine hours today already. The racing driver excuses again. We'll be back next week when I should be shut up in my own house all on my own. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.